Hey everybody, Harry here. Welcome to the podcast. Happy May. Happy belated Mother's Day. Um, happy good weather. Um, I hope you're all counting down the days until my birthday, May 21st, the most important day of the year. Share that birthday with Notorious B.I.G., Mr. T, Noel Fielding, Prodigy from Mob Deep, Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine, and Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, also, this kid, Austin, that I went to elementary school with, and I didn't like him solely for the reason that we had the same birthday. Wherever you are, happy birthday, you son of a bitch. Anyway, um, go stream Bad Bunny's new album, Un Verano Senti. My Puerto Rican bro right there. Uh, it's really good. One of my favorite albums of the year so far. Yeah, just just such a good mix of songs. It's one of those longer albums that like, it's incredible because it's 23 songs long and there's no skips. No skips. It's so good. Um, go stream that. Go listen to that. Yeah, shilling for Bad Bunny over here. Uh, Polar Seltzer still has not answered my tweets about sponsoring this show. I might turn to Topo Chico next. I really want a type of water, you know, because people should stay hydrated, especially with the summer coming up. Yeah, it's just important. I Last summer, I fainted, bro, you know, like I straight up fainted. Like, I think it was like heat exhaustion or something. But um, <laughs> shout out to my friend Kevin, uh, if he's listening, uh, for being with me that day. Uh, he is cpr certified so he was the right friend to be hanging with uh that day speaking of cpr certification i just got my cpr certification like this morning did cpr training and i'm very proud of myself because the entire training course i resisted the temptation to make profuse amounts of of mouth-to-mouth jokes <laughs> But I do know I can give mouth to mouth now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could before, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but yeah, I am CPR certified on infants too. That's the part that really got me nervous. Like, if I'm in a situation where like an infant is like choking or needs like mouth to mouth CPR, I don't know if I want to be the one who has to bear the weight of that responsibility, but. I think I developed an emotional attachment to the little CPR baby doll because I, I was holding it, you know, like in the way you're supposed to hold a baby. And the lady running the training complimented me and said I looked very paternal, which is nice to hear that I, you know, if I ever needed to take care of a fake baby, I could do that. So, you know, if that is a quality that you are looking for, in a partner, you know, slide into my DMs. Uh, side note, do not slide in my DMs. Just do not. I don't, I'm not interested. Like if, if like, if you're trying to send me a message and you don't have my number or email, like, what are we doing? You know? Anyway, yeah, this week, <laughs> I should probably introduce my guest. This week, we have Ajda, the Turkish queen, who is sort of a Boston music scene veteran. She's been playing around for like 25 years. She hit my line and 
her name really stuck out to me because she's half Turkish. I'm Turkish on my mom's side. And so, yeah, I it was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to get another Turk on here. We talk about some fun things like there's like there's a, a. It's not Star Wars exactly, but it's called Turkish Star Wars. And it's just a really cheesy sci fi movie from the 70s that was like made in Turkey. I might have Ajda back at some point just to to talk about it because it sounds like a fucking time. Anyway, you're going to hear some tracks of hers throughout the episode. Uh, there's five tracks in particular. The first one is called Desperate Kiss. The second one is Afyon Karahisar Battle Cry. Uh, that first word is a Turkish word, so um, I'm not, I don't really know how to speak Turkish, so I might be mispronouncing that a bit. But that's the second track. Third track, The Facts of Love. The fourth track is called Take This Ride. And the final track is called Bobby's Car. And those are the five tracks you're going to hear over the course of the episode. Um, anyway, let's get right into it. So without further ado, here's Ajda, the Turkish queen. Last night I Bitterness. What a 
hello and welcome, Ajda, the Turkish Queen, to the podcast. Hello to you, and thank you very much for having me as a guest. I'm honored to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm loving the the purple. Is that a shirt or what kind of? It is, is a pashmina. A yeah, okay. it's a pashmina. I actually have four, and they were all gifts. They all have a little story. And um, this one, yes, it is purple and black leopard print for your listeners. And it's reversible. So one side has more purple throughout and black dots. The other side is the reverse of that. But it's keeping me cozy because these New England nights are chilly. As soon as that sun goes down, it's like, get the pashmina out. <laughs> I am sitting here fully in a peacoat and sweatpants. <laughs> I see. Do you have a pretender shirt on? I do have a pretender shirt on. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, nice. Thank Very you. Nice. It's, it's a great thrift find. It's long sleeve too. Oh, uh, wow. That's like yeah. the dream again here in New England, yeah. you know? I'll tell you, I didn't know what a hoodie was until I moved here from Houston. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're from uh, Houston originally. So when did you move to Boston? I moved to Boston in 1996 to attend Berkeley College of Music. Okay. And, and what did you study while you were there? Performance? Music business management was actually my major. But while I was in school there, I started meeting some people on the local music scene and started playing in bands and quickly realized, wow, that was, that's where the fun is at. You know, yeah. I don't necessarily, my dream was to have a record label. Um, but once I started playing in bands, I realized that's where the fun is at. <laughs> so I pursued that, you know, but for the few first few years, some of those early projects, uh, the first band I was in was called Orisha. And I had a label in quotes that I called Turkish queen, of course, <laughs> And um, so we put out a seven inch and it was on Turkish Queen Records. So, yeah, but I got a lot out of studying music business. I just have to say that, uh, you know, I am the type of person. So, first of all, I'm an independent voice teacher, music teacher, Mm -hmm. and I've always been interested in business. And so studying music business, I feel like it really helped me to be an independent artist. Other things I do feel like really contributed along my journey and my path throughout my life as a musician, but I am, I'm glad I chose that. You know, if I had to go back and do it again, of course, I think about that all the time. I might've gone more towards performance, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I did what I did. I don't really have any regrets. Yeah. That's it's good. like Ace Freely. Isn't that Ace Freely's, uh, his uh, biography? It's called No Regrets, I think. <laughs> Maybe I haven't, I haven't read it. I just, when, anytime I hear the phrase, no regrets, I think of the, the photo of the tat the chest tattoo that says no raggards. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Okay. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send it, send it to you okay. later. <laughs> um, what, so c- could you repeat the name of that, uh, that, that initial band you were in? The first band was called Orisha. And I Orisha. believe that I didn't name the band, but that band, I'm pretty sure that the name comes from a voodoo goddess or something like that. Okay. I think it's a voodoo term. Let <laughs> me, I'll, uh, I'll verify. Are you taking me back here in my mind. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really thought about that project that much in a long time. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems, it seems like you're, you've had, you've got some, some veteran experience now, like playing music around Boston. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I started playing in a band pretty much my first fall here. So since 96, been doing the band thing, you know, it's a yeah. long time now. <laughs> uh, and, and so compared to what more recent things sounded like, what did, or what kind of music did Arisha play? 
honestly, it was, it makes sense now looking back, you know, the band had a female singer. She was very inspired by PJ Harvey, who was also one of mm. my biggest influences. So That's who you actually came to mind. One of the artists that came to mind when I was listening to your stuff. Oh, well, that mm. is a huge compliment because she's a huge inspiration and I've been listening to her and loving her since I was probably 15. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. Apparently in the, in the, this is, you know, only relevant because we're mentioning her, but I read the other day that she's back in the studio working on new music. So, you know, I have a funny relationship with her records these days. Um, The last several records, I didn't get them immediately when they came out, Mm -hmm. but, and when I heard them, I wasn't quite sure if I liked it, but then upon, you know, repeated listens, I really came to love music so i'm hoping that's how i'll feel although i will say that i have i feel like she's taken a really dark turn and that's saying a lot Mm -hmm. for a dark artist yeah but i feel like you know like the hope sticks demolition project and all that i feel like she's just really tapped into this sadness about the state of the world and i miss when she was singing about romantic love you know that's my kind of number one go-to topic when i write songs and I miss that energy uh, and she would sing about that, you know, and feel like she, I feel like maybe on the, her last album, she was searching for meaning herself in, in the world, especially with the, in the environment and things like that and trying to find meaning, but acknowledging like the cruelty and, and all those dark things. So, but I really kind of started to feel like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm not so anxious to check out the, the new records right away. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, but I am, I'm excited to see her evolve as an artist, you know, and to just watch her develop her path and what she explores. So she always does something interesting. I've mm-hmm. seen her, I think twice now, the last time I saw her, it was so cinematic when she came out on stage, it was almost like a parade, you know, she was playing the saxophone and she had this Ooh. huge purple feathery thing on her head. And it was like, it almost reminded me of like a New Orleans funeral a little bit, but it was it was really cool and, and very cinematic. That's really the word that comes to mind. Mm. But yeah, I do love her so very much. She's definitely influenced me. Nice, nice. Yeah, I have I have listened to all her records, but I definitely when I listen to her, I tend to go back to to earlier projects because you are. Yeah, I do remember Hope Six being a lot a lot of uh, contemporary like commentary. Uh, yes, the, yes the state of the world as you as you put it yep but, but uh, i will say that some of the melodies on that and some of the samples and things that she used are just uh, the sounds are amazing and so that's mm-hmm. one thing that i always find interesting about her work you know regardless of whether i feel like it's tough with the lyrics you know on the one mm-hmm. hand i feel as an artist you hear a lot of people saying oh it's our duty to lift people up right away mm-hmm. from their day-to-day mundane or you know depressing things going on in the world it's we're it's our job to kind of lift people up but we can't help it sometimes you know we're going through a a hard time too or yes we're commenting on some not so bright and uplifting aspects of the world or the human condition so sometimes i wrestle with that uh are there any particular songs of yours that come to mind when when you think of wrestling with that no, it's more just kind of a, I, I do think a lot about where my lyrics come from. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that in the moment, I don't necessarily know. Usually it's after a song is recorded and released and I have a bit of distance from it. 
then I start to realize, oh, that was about this. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I've realized over many years now, and being on many recordings, writing so many songs, I have realized that some of my favorite ones are where I'm comforting myself. I'm saying mm-hmm. something, I'm like, it's, I've had an epiphany and I'm sharing that with my listener. And it, I find truth to be very comforting, <laughs> mm-hmm. even if it's really hard. So yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm some of the best ones. Like there was a Black Fortress song here lies and in that song you know i've I've got a lyric where i say you can't life can't always make you feel whole and i felt like that was a really healthy realization to have you know you're searching for something to make you feel whole something to fill the void or whatnot but you just have to acknowledge you're not going to be comfortable all the time and so Mm -hmm. submitting to that chaos that's a phrase i use a lot especially lately (laughs) i just moved i just moved two months ago there's been a lot of chaos, so yeah, submit to imagine. the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, we should probably uh, state the full name of the band. So your most most recent band, Black Fortress of Opium. Yes, which is named after a place in Turkey. A real place, yeah, a place in Turkey, which that is that I've uh, been to. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I was I was googling it before, and it sounds super cool because it is actually. Well, I'll, I'll let you describe it, but there is actually a fortress there. <laughs> Yeah, so the word in Turkish, Afyon Karahisar, literally can mean Black Citadel of Opium, Black Fortress of Opium, Black Castle of Opium. And I went there with my father, I believe it was in 2008. And, you know, the the battle cry song that we have, Afyon Karahisar Battle Cry from our second album, talks about 700 steps. And there are 700 stone steps you climb to get up to the top. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful volcanic outcropping with these castle walls at the top. There's no standing castle at this point, but there's a lot of history and lore mm-hmm. around that area. And I found that very captivating. So <laughs> it's funny when it came to the, the name of the band, though, it was my guitar player, Tony Saverino. When we were first thinking of the name of the band, I was like, what do you think about this Black Fortress of Opium? He's like, people are going to either love it or hate it <laughs> because it's it's sounds kind of heavy and sounds dark right so yeah like you know like the more someone more knee-jerky might think that you know it's like metal metal well i I was gonna think you know (laughs) the way the way metal often metal and punk band names are often um like for shock value almost you know because a lot of people do have problems with opioids but it it literally is the the name of like I, i if you wouldn't mind saying the turkish name again thank you thank you uh like that translates to black fortress of opium and yeah i because, didn't make it up i didn't make yeah. this stuff up i'll yeah. tell you the way i saw it's, there's, it there's I poppy was... fields surrounding the yes and i think when i was reading it was it's like the produces a third of the world's uh like mm-hmm. pharmaceutical legally morphine. grown op- yeah exactly yeah. legally grown opium opium poppies yeah so it's you know people i know people might not know if they don't a lot of people don't really know anything about turkey right so they mm-hmm. might just think oh what's that they probably think maybe it's like afghanistan or something but yeah. you know anyway i know it just because my mother was turkish so i'm yeah, extra my, my grandfather so <laughs> oh, okay. on my mother's side yeah um mm-hmm. no yeah i feel like a lot of people sort of lump it in 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 terms of the you know the middle east as a region kind of gets lumped together without recognizing distinct cultures because it's not like turks are very are distinct from from arabs and 
you know, Turkish is a, is a distinct language. And part of what I do try to do is make people aware, you know, of Turkish culture, because I feel like it has a lot to offer both historically Mm. and artistically. And I've come to know that very closely going over there so many times and being exposed to it. Um, So, and actually, you know what the, so in 2020, I was supposed to play the Turkish festival here in Boston because they have an amazing Turkish festival here. Oh, do they? I didn't know that. I when when is it usually play it? I was so bummed. It was April 2020. I was, I had a, you know, gig and then they just canceled every shut down. Uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when and where is that usually held? Cause I, I would like to go sometime. Well, um, a lot of, okay. So a lot of it is about film screenings. That is one of the biggest focuses. And typically the films are at the MFA. Sometimes they show some at the, they also have some events at the Goethe Institute in back Bay, which is really cool. And that's where the show was going to be. So I'm hoping maybe I'll get another chance with that. Yeah. But, um, and then they have some events at BU too. So they have culinary events. They'll have like a Turkish food night. And they'll have some, you know, art exhibitions and openings and closings along with that and some lectures. And this year I watched, you know, they've been doing everything online. And this year they had an amazing speaker who's also a tour guide over there. And he was talking, I'm very into food, very food motivated, very into food. (laughs) I I forgot to mention what I was doing while, you know, like waiting for this meeting to start. I was picking up what, what I, what is being delivered is. I scheduled it for uh, oh, okay. as soon as soon as the you know our we'll get done. I'll have. And did I'll you order Turkish food because that no. would really complete the circle? No, no, no. <laughs> but I, you know what? I'll have to check Uber Eats if they have any Turkish restaurants. I got Indian food, so. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I see how it is, but that's fine. I, I am a My fan of all. My favorite Turkish restaurant, cuisines. by the way, is Istanbul in Davis Square in on Dav- Collins Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very close to where I live. Yeah, I live in Somerville Big- too. Nice. We're nice. leading parallel lives. Do you see? Yes. Me? Well, I'm in Cambridge, <laughs> so it's like mirror. Oh, you're in Cambridge. Yeah. But oh. I am I'm very close to you're Teal the, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. Istanbul is. Okay, I know right where that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we will uh give a shout out to Istanbul. Uh free free promotion for them. Definitely eat also, their great just restaurant. Another little note, like a pre-COVID Turkish thing and food thing. Um uh trifecta, if you will, is that the last birthday I had in person, I got some friends together and we went to Istanbul. And ever since my friends have been like, when are we going back to that Turkish place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really feel like their flavors are amazing over there, but anyway, this yeah. isn't an ad for them, but you know, I'm just so enthusiastic about food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, also have a lot of interest, but also take a lot of comfort from, from food. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> if, you, if you're if you do the whole astrology thing, I am a and Taurus. I do. I'm yeah. very into astrology. I am a Taurus, and that's sort of our one of our whole mo's is like you know I'm a lot in much better mood when I have eaten something. <laughs> that is so funny. Yes, I. Um, so I'm a big fan of college radio. I listen to WZBC every week. They have an astrology report. If you're mm-hmm. into that, you should listen. I've been oh, listening cool. since 1997. And she started, wow. I guess, the year before. Luckily, uh, well, the first band that I was in here, the the bandmate who started the group, he was into astrology. He really turned me on to astrology, actually. And it's been a lifelong interest for me. And so I, he turned me on to that report and probably WZBC as well. But I've had a, a lifelong 
love of college radio. I've been a college radio DJ in many different stations, WNBR and MIT, WCBC. I used to be a sub there. I did not have my own show just because I didn't, I didn't have the time. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure I could have gotten one. And I still listen to all of those stations. I deeply love college radio and Boston is an amazing place for that. And that's where I hear a lot of music, you know, new music these days is through that. But I'm an Aries. I'm a double Aries. So there's okay. a lot of fire. I'm constantly on fire over here. <laughs> I, uh, I, can, I can see that when I was looking at a lot of your, um, especially the, the album cover to the first Black Fortress album. It does look mm-hmm. very, very fiery. I don't know if it's actually fire, but just like the thumbnail that I'm looking at, it's you know, it's very, very red. Um, yeah, and and red is the Aries color, you know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that wasn't intentional, I don't think. So Tony Savarino's mom painted that uh, album cover. She painted the painting, and then we shot it for the cover. It's actually quite small in real life, but it's a beautiful painting and Tony has it because <laughs> his mom made it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, it's a very beautiful piece of art that contributed so much. Just that image, you know, I feel like it really conveys a lot about the band's sound just through an image. And that is something that is yeah. profoundly challenging to do with album artwork. So you said it's your mom who's from, from Turkey originally? Yes, my mother was Turkish. She passed away in 2006. She was born in Ankara. And uh, so I've been over there many, many times, although it's been over 10 years now. So I have, yeah, oh my gosh. Well, when I think <laughs> back now, it's, oh boy, those years are really flying by. Um, yeah. But I renewed my passport last year, about a year ago. As did and I. I do, yeah, I want to go again. I did it before. I uh, see I did it in the winter last year and I figured, oh, I'm going to do it now because when things go open up in the spring and summer, everyone's going to be traveling again. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen, but <laughs> at least I have it for another 10 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm in a similar boat. My uh, back in October, my new passport came. Um, I, so my grandfather was born in Ankara. Oh my gosh. Wow. Maybe we're related. Possibly. Uh, in, so in 2013, he passed away. Um, and I, but I've only been to Turkey once and I went to Izmir and a lot of ne- uh, nearby areas, uh, but I spent but not in a, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of weeks there over the summer before I went into eighth grade, I'm pretty sure it was, mm-hmm. uh, and it yep. was beautiful. Uh, you know, we went to like Ephesus and other places and oh, I, uh, I got love to see those places. You are speaking my language. <laughs> I'm a, I was, I studied a lot of like classics, um, like mm-hmm. classical language and literature, uh, in, you know, high school and college. And so, you know, like I got to see Greek ruins and I was like, Oh yes. <laughs> Living the dream right there. I d- I want to go back so I can see, cause I haven't seen Istanbul and I really want to really want to well, go you there. You need to get back for yeah. that because it is one of the most fascinating places on earth. It really Incredible is a crossroads city. between modernity and antiquity. Mm-hmm. You know, only a few other cities that I've been to remind me of that. London reminded me of that and Rome because they can be so modern and so chic, but also the history is there. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, there's so, Rome, so much history that really blew my mind. So I'd been to Istanbul so many times, you know, seeing um, Aya Sophia and all of that. Sure. Yeah. It's cool. Okay. Then you go to Rome and then you go back and you see it and you see, mm-hmm. this is made of the same stone. This is Roman stone. That is mind blowing. Cause then you start yeah. to get a sense 
of the grandeur of that civilization and what they were able to accomplish and that it just spanned, you know, continents. It's, it's fascinating. And I, there's so much to love over there. I try to tell people, I'm like, because, you know, a lot of Americans really don't know much about Turkey. I'm like, there's something for everyone. If you like history, it's there in spades. If you like beautiful beaches, it's there. If you like delicious food, that's also fairly healthy. It's there, you know, and Mm -hmm. the people are so warm and welcoming. So, and the, all the weird geological formations. There, yeah, there's insane. a lot. I mean, it's obviously, insane. obviously the Black Fortress we were talking about, but um, but Cappadocia. Cappadocia, yeah. I mean, it looks like a moonscape, like a lunar it's, yeah, landscape. It's, you know, like you know, like fantasy authors dream they could write a landscape that's so magical and and I'm surprised star wars hasn't been shot there or something or maybe it has i don't know by the way i, I don't still think haven't so. seen the turkish star wars so don't ask about that uh, wait there's a turkish <laughs> have you star seen wars? it no yes there, there's a turkish star wars i i have I a friend who, who I, I got about all the time. <laughs> yeah maybe that's what i eat well or watch while i eat dinner is is it this one, uh, the man who saves the world? I'm not even sure. I've just heard about it. I heard that they basically tried to make their own remake or something. It says the film is popularly known abroad as Turkish Star Wars due to its notorious un- unauthorized use of footage, music, and sound effects from Star Wars oh and gosh. other sci-fi films. Um, <laughs> and it's part of a the wave of low-budget Turk-sploitation superhero <laughs> films, which I didn't even know this is a genre. This is, oh, wow. I'm going to have so much fun. I wish, honestly, I wish I had known about this before. <laughs> I'll have to have you back on at some point. We'll have to of course. do a viewing and then... While eating Turkish food, otherwise I can't work like this. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, we can <laughs> order some Istanbul. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay this These conditions. great. I am totally in. Yeah, conditions. Also, I want to give a shout out to Vinyl Index, which is a really cool record store. Absolutely, yeah. In Bow Market, yeah. Yeah, Aaron, who works over there. Every time I go in there, he's always like, have you heard this cool Turkish psychedelic band or check out this record, this reissue mm-hmm. or this like current Turkish psychedelic band. <laughs> I, you, Turk, there's a lot of Turkish psychedelic. That's really cool. I'm going to have to. When, I that re- when you said Turk exploitation, it reminded me of that. So, yeah, they, you know, in the, especially because it was in the 70s is what I'm. This is all a crash course just from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. But there was in I know in Europe, just like this fervor with like, you know, trying to uh, take what was popular coming out of the U S and trying to adapt that. Like it was happening in Italy too. I imagine the French probably did it in their own way, but like in, you know, kind of scoffing at it, like, Oh, Americans, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. So it sort of <laughs> makes sense, but yeah, I definitely want to check out this, this movie, the man who saves the world from 1982 I should watch it too instead of you know and check out. So I, my friend that uh, teases me about it, I know what, what he's actually talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this must this must be it.
Oh, the glory. 
I'd love to talk just for a minute about, I was thinking about, you know, some things I wanted to just maybe bring up oh, or please, I wasn't yeah, yeah. sure what you this were going to ask about if you. you were going <laughs> to, I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me. So like, have you seen any cool movies lately or what are you reading, et cetera. Yo, oh, yeah, I can, again, I could give you the whole softballs. Like, wait, we haven't gotten to your favorite ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that is so tough, but I will say that um, I not like. not so much of a softball now that you're on the spot, huh? <laughs> 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 well it's better than soft serve because life yeah. is too short okay i don't know soft I serve with a cone changes things it changes soft the game serve with a sugar cone i'd consider that especially if it had stuff in it but soft serve usually doesn't that's the problem because it has to be homogenous to go through that yeah. little spout so i know so. i know there are some places especially <laughs> there's, there's this one place on the cape that does different flavors with the soft serve however oh, i love the cape too yeah if you do one of the special flavors, they have to put in like the flavoring. It, it like they mm-hmm. give you vanilla, but then they flavor it along the way. So they can't oh. they can't do the cone because they there's already a step. Um can you tell me what the name of this ice cream parlor is so I can go this summer yes, when I go yes, back to Cape Cod? Absolutely. It's right. It's <laughs> is it right the place that won number one ice cream place in Massachusetts? Did you see that? Uh, no, but um let, the give me WBZ had a contest and it was someplace on the Cape. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> if it's the there. one that it's like right off the rail trail, um, like right near Nickerson state park. I have not been to Nickerson, but I know, um, actually I know another local musician who, uh, whose songwriting definitely influenced me Ad Frank. Mm-hmm. I know that he was camping a lot out at Nickerson at least some years ago. I hadn't seen that lately, but. I did go to Cape Cod last summer and camp and that was so fun. And that was right near Mm -hmm. P-Town. And I went on a tour of the dunes. Oh, like the national seashore? Well, this was like a private tour of the, the, I guess, I guess it is, but it's like only. I think it all sort of is. Yeah. Like just the, that outer arm. I I did ride the bike trails out there. That Mm -hmm. was amazing. Again, talk about a lunar landscape, like what I saw in Cappadocia in Turkey. The only other thing that's really equivalent in my mind was what I saw riding around those trails in in P-Town in that area of the Cape. But also the tour of the dunes was so cool. Like you basically have to go in a vehicle that has the tires. Yep. I forget if they're inflated or deflated or something. They're, they're pressure, the tire pressure has to be adjusted and only certain vehicles are granted access to that. And that was really cool. And that ties back to something I've been kind of playing around with lately is a song that I'm really hoping to release in mid-April right around my birthday and the, coinciding with the opening of motorcycle season, it's a song called Motorcycle Song. And the other day, in fact, yesterday, I was playing around with iMovie and taking the footage of the dunes that I took and putting it with that song in the background <laughs> and kind of playing around with that and coming up with some ideas. But now I just need to, I need to get some B-roll of me like on a motorcycle. I actually had a crash in 2015. Oh. And I broke, I broke my left hand. Um, That's scary. I survived. Yeah, it was very scary. I very well could have died. I crashed, you know, into a brick wall. But hey, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> hey, well, um, you, you, you almost died, but you didn't. Hey, this is crazy musicians do crazy things right so mm. i was riding my motorcycle i crashed but uh now i need some b-roll of me damn rock stars always having to crash their damn motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> actually i wanted to cover uh this wheels on fire too the a few years ago that was kind of like right before covid and got lost in the shuffle 
Um, I thought that would be very apropos. But yeah, the dunes were really, really amazing. Really amazing. And, and oh, you know what's so cool about that is there are these artist shacks out there. Do you know about that? A little bit. There's a lot of like organizations that will put up artists for like a season, but uh... yes, writers and whatnot. And I think Jack Kerouac had one and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure his was called Euphoria. How cool is that? And that was that was pretty cool just to see, you know, from a distance because they don't mm-hmm. take you right up close to it. So it was just the just panoramic vistas, you know, and mm-hmm. it was very inspiring. So that was that was an amazing trip and camping yeah. out there. It was just a very different way of seeing P-Town and seeing the Cape, because usually when I go to P-Town, I'm staying with some lady friends and we're just kind of hanging out in the town. You know, I know it sounds cliche, but yes, exactly. Shopping, eating, drinking. But this was very different. This was camping mm-hmm. and riding my bike out in nature this beautiful nature so that was great i think it kind of ruined me for doing just the boring <laughs> usual stuff i'm kind of like oh, yeah. that's all we're gonna do but we'll see i'm open to both yeah no as someone who goes to the cape a lot it's wonderful anytime you find something that feels new to do because a lot of it is just like beach fried seafood restaurant yes <laughs> ice cream yeah ice cream I repeat <laughs> <laughs> like that's uh, drink, a bad thing, get drunk but... with friends yeah no no it's not a it's, an, it's a lovely <laughs> lovely place i think i've come to enjoy it and appreciate it more as an adult going than when i was a kid and i was like it's boring here there's nothing to do i want my yeah. video games uh-huh <laughs> but now i'm like yeah no, the beach is pretty fun it's a ritual for me at yeah. this point um oh um, but before i before i forget that the name of that place is called it's kobe's c-o-b-i-e um, okay i'm gonna make and, a note yeah it's right along the rail trail and like right at the the entrance to nickerson so which which town is barnstable okay okay no uh uh brewster i want to say okay brewster yeah. Yeah. There's, it's funny now that I'm talking to you, cause I was thinking about, you know, what, what might I want to talk about? I wasn't sure what you asked. So I was just kind of trying to brainstorm mm-hmm. some interesting things that I've either oh, been watching. Believe me, I, I never know what I'm going to ask sometimes. Oh, okay. That's cool. That's <laughs> like cool. I said, I just, this is just a conversation. We're just seeing yeah. where this goes. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's really nice. Okay. So the Kate thing that also reminds me of Astro Weeks, the book. Did oh you yeah, read it? I didn't read ask the book, but um, that that's the for listeners. That's the book about Van Morrison recording his album Astral Weeks, um, which was very much influenced by his time spent in Cambridge. I do know that. Yes, but it goes way deeper. I mean, he okay. gets into let's go. You know, let's take that red pill. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, he he ties so many threads together. The author Ryan Walsh. He's also a local musician. He's in that band Hallelujah the Hills. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. That book was mind-blowing. And there was, I believe that Ryan, part of kind of what sparked the idea for the book for him, I don't want to speak for him, but I've seen him do a few talks on the book as well. Because when it came out a couple of years ago, I was just so blown away. I'm still years later blown away. And I recommend the book all the time to people. I have a new voice student who mentioned he was in the Van Morrison. I'm like, you've got to read this book. But anyway, there was some tie-in where, is, is it on the back? Of the of Astro Weeks, where there's like he mentions the cape or something. There's like a cape tie-in to Astro okay. Weeks. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. So that book was one of the more profound music-related things, but it also gets into like Timothy Leary and LSD experiments mm-hmm. that were happening here at the time. That's why it's called like a, a secret history of Boston in 1968. 
and also just other things that were going on in the music scene here. And he mentions all these different former clubs and recording studios and places. And I actually made my own list of the locations in the book and I still want to go check them out. I haven't done it. Oh, nice. There's also, there was a cult going on at the same time. This like countercultural cult that was going on. And there's so much, it's so much more than just, you know, Van Morrison's time in Cambridge. And I, I was a Cambridge resident for 10 years. I am still in Cambridge a lot. I live across the street from Cambridge. Oh, yeah, I'm on yeah, the border. In Somerville. In it's, Somerville. Not, it's not like once you move to Somerville, they're like, no, you stay on that side. <laughs> exactly. But uh, so that that's one of the cooler things really that I came across in the last couple of years. It's the type of book that just, it gives and gives. And years later, your mind is still, there's like <laughs> reverberations of all the things that he introduces. And there's just, so much to explore. But another book I've been reading uh, lately, actually, is Ronnie James Dio's autobiography. It's the one you, you grabbed right before we started recording. So yeah, what's exactly uh... it's called Rainbow in the Dark. And I'm looking at it. And look what it's got on the cover flames and I'm an Aries. Jeez, you think <laughs> yeah. there's any there? but I don't know if you, do you know about my Dio side project? Uh, oh, I was reading about that briefly, but I didn't get get to that in, in my prep. Yeah, so I know it's just hard to keep track of all the things I'm doing. But um, so I I started doing a Dio side project in 2013, and yeah, I put my name right on it. <laughs> I put Ajda plus Dio together, and I got Aj Dio. And the funny thing is, is I was never in the metal. I was into obscure stuff you hear on college radio. But actually, Tony from Black Fortress of Opium, he was definitely into metal, and he can shred like on guitar, you know, like nobody's business. And he would always be playing metal in his car. And so I started hearing some Dio and Rainbow and things like that. And I started listening to the vocals. And I was like, wow, what is that? And asking, like, what is that? Who is that? Because it was so good, you know? And I realized, wow, this guy, he's so bluesy. And he's, it's like the vocals were just so amazing. I was like, he's basically doing the same thing Beyonce does, right? Impressive mm-hmm. licks and runs and just very expressive, but in a hard rock and metal context and singing about dragons and things I never would have imagined myself singing about, but something really captivated me. And part of it was, I liked his perspective and his point of view. Now he was definitely the type of artist who would try to help his listeners feel better and comfort them. And it's pretty damn cool that you can do that, you know, while rocking out really hard. And so I got into that and I, and also it was fun because it's so different than the originals thing. You know, when you are singing originals, you're super vulnerable. It's your lyrics. It's your emotions. You know, you might be confessing things about your life out there and you don't know how people are going to take it. And you put it out there and you don't know if you're going to get the energy back or, and whatnot. But with the covers thing, and normally I don't really do that. I've never been that kind of musician. But I'll say that this project has been a really fun vehicle for a certain level of expression I didn't even know I had in me. I, I started getting into the costume. So like, you know, almost every show we would do, I would try to, I have a couple of costumes that I wear for those shows mm-hmm. and they were so fun. And it, the people love the songs and I felt like I had a duty to go deep into the catalog. And we did Dio Black Sabbath, his solo stuff, Rainbow. We never did any Elf, although people would request that. Now reading his <laughs> autobiography, I am considering that more. I need to do some listening myself because I really haven't listened to Elf a lot, frankly. Well, he's he's uh, he's someone similar that you know, like to yourself, where he has a lot of different projects, and you know, they yeah. fall. You know, they sound like things Dio would be doing, but they, you know, I'm I'm not like super familiar with a lot of his work, but you know, he does. 
he is does sort of have that journeyman role. Yes, yes. And that you're right. That really speaks to me, you know, and I just remember when I started learning first, I was hearing the vocals. And I was like, wow, this sounds really good. And I like his perspective. And then I was like, wait, he's saying for Rainbow and Black Sabbath? That's mm. insane. You know, I was like, who gets those kinds of opportunities? You know, it's just, and he talks about that in the book too, but it's crazy. The threads in the book, he, he even talks about recording at some studio in France, uh, Chateau de Rouville or something in a city called Pontoise, which they, the band would call pantyhose, which I thought was funny, <laughs> but he said Pink Floyd, I think had recorded there and all these other artists. He talked about another studio where that they passed through working with when he's working with Richie Blackmore. So specifically okay. the rainbow thing, because that's yeah. really when his world got blown open with opportunities talking about how Richie would just fire everybody all the time. (laughs) 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 And sounds like he was really hard to work with. And that is what I've heard. But yeah, he was talking about, so to bring it back to Boston, Donna Summer. Yep. He he mentioned, uh, I guess she was working with Giorgio Moroder. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, we were at the studio and Donna Summer and Giorgio Moroder. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. All these like worlds colliding. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you never think of Donna Summer and Dio like in no, the same breath, but you know, in the same universe. But <laughs> that, see, that is what's cool. Moves, that, yeah. that cross pollination, right, mm-hmm. is so cool. So you just never know. And I mean, it is like that, even on the local scene, you know, sometimes, especially being a veteran, as you alluded to earlier. Yes, at this point, I guess I. I'm definitely a veteran. I think I think once you hit the five, <laughs> once you get your five-year Boston music card, then you're you you've entered veteran status. You think so? Five years? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's such a wow. transient city that a lot of people don't even stay that long. Well, personally, I feel like you got to pay more dues in five years. Honestly, though, to speak to the dues-paying aspect. <laughs> I had a roommate at one point that was at Harvard Law School and he used to write for their journal. And there was, I remember reading it because yeah, I would actually read it sometimes. And there was, a, it was like their paper, right? Mm-hmm. And there was an article on entertainment law, music law, something like that. And it was like, it was so funny. It was so shocked. It was like, there seems to be an aspect and element of deuce paying, even for the lawyers. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> these people have no idea. You know, it's like, oh, what? You got to pay all these dues? Wow, that's annoying. It's like, <laughs> welcome to our world. For five years, you are very giving. I mean, okay, I guess I'm a veteran five times over at this point. So sure, yeah. What does that yeah. make me? Do I get a purple you're a five, You're a five-star veteran. That's awesome. But you get your first star (laughs) at five years. And again, it's, you know, I know it seems low, but again, you got to realize how transient Boston as a city is and the Boston music scene is, you know, like people, people like pass through because it's, you know, it's very tied to like the college years and and the years thereafter that, you know, a lot of bands or musicians don't necessarily feel like they can find success here. And then they, they move and find success somewhere else or don't, you know, there's plenty that don't, which all power to them, you know, gotta love anyone for trying doing this music thing. Yeah, it is definitely hard, you know, and I do feel like Tony had said, and he's a native Bostonian, you know, he had said that Boston can be very provincial. Okay. And sometimes Mm -hmm. in its outlook. And I would agree. I feel of two minds when it comes to that. I feel like on the one hand, this scene and the people here 
allowed me as an artist to flourish, to go from a side person in bands, just, okay, hey, can you play a little keyboard? Sure, you got a keyboard I can play? Okay, yeah, okay, great, I'll try it. <laughs> or, hey, when I, that first band, Arisha, I was playing my accordion and my flute and finger cymbals. Wow. So I was, I think maybe it turned into a little bit of backing vocals at the end, but I'm not even sure. It's so long ago. I don't remember. <laughs> and honestly, it feels kind of cool to not remember. It's like, yeah, I've done a lot. I've been around. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm of two minds, you know, on the one hand, it allowed me to really journey from side person, not ready to take center stage, not writing my own material to exploring that with a duo Turkish queen uh, that then had it became more of a trio with a drummer mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then to black fortress and making records with martin bc and and the journey i've had in all the other bands and recording projects and, and what, whatever i've done along the way collaborations so i am thankful that you know having some of those same people have stuck with me over the years right and different yeah. people come in and out and that's one thing that can be very challenging as an artist you know for a while people are really with you but then they move on in their in their own journey, in their path too, right? So you might see them at shows for a long time, every show, and then you never see them again. <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> so it's just, there is very much, a lot is in flux, right? So it's a fluid situation. Again, which again, why five years in terms of Boston music is is a long time in and of itself. I know it doesn't feel as long because because of how long you've been here, but... Yeah, that's it. See, my perspective is just, okay, you know, I've been with that for a while. But I will say, and so I feel personally that a lot of people, younger people, have no idea what it's like getting older, right? Because they just haven't been through it yet. And now that Mm -hmm. I am getting older, I actually find so much joy and and meaning in life as I get older because I know more. And the music thing is cool because there's just the general and other veteran musicians had warned me about this over 10 years ago. They said, you just wait, you know, you'll get to a certain age and you'll all be like, yeah, okay. Cause there's a level of recognition and acceptance and welcoming and acknowledgement. Like, yeah, all right. Yeah. You're here too. Cool. All right. We've both been doing this for a while, you know? So there's a certain camaraderie that you just have to be around a certain amount of time <laughs> to get. Yeah. And that is really cool. You know, there's, that's one of the best things I think about getting older and and being, staying in the music scene.
And um, I will say COVID has been really, really hard. So hard. You know, I haven't been doing shows. I did do some of the live streaming in the beginning, but it was so much work. And to not have a live audience in front of you, Mm -hmm. giving you that energy back, I just felt like it was not really something I wanted to be doing very often. I thought about doing it again. I don't know. Maybe I will. But I also haven't felt like it's safe enough and the time is right for me to be playing out live, Mm -hmm. you know, putting possibly my health in, in question or other attendees or whatnot, especially in smaller clubs, you know, I mean, I went to see the war on drugs on Tuesday. My boyfriend really likes them. He got us tickets and we went to see the war on drugs and, you know, those big venues. Yeah. They can demand that you have to have, you know, proof of vaccination and whatever, but I've been wondering, and I'm not even sure because I also haven't even been attending that many shows because I've really kind of been trying to keep my head down, you know, especially as a Mm -hmm. singer and as a teacher of singing, you know, I, I am vaccinated and boosted and all of that, but I've been careful and I really haven't been going out a lot. I've really only gone, gone to a handful of shows over this whole two years so far of COVID. But I was just starting to think myself about how I was wondering, are the local clubs demanding any kind of proof of vaccination? Because I'll tell you what I saw. I went to a show at Zuzu probably in December or so. And, you know, once people start drinking, the masks come off and they oh, stay yeah, off. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that uh, just to answer that first question, I know that most most clubs, especially once it got to be October, were starting to require proof of vaccination. But there's no, like you said, there's no real enforcement of mask mandates. You know, like once people are inside and once people start drinking, then they, yeah. they forget about it. My instinct and my intuition, which I trust and I've you know, guided me throughout my life pretty damn well, says, just keep waiting. Don't be premature. You know, and I see other people like I just saw Toda's opening back up. And I'm very happy about that. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I like this. They just had a show. I think it was maybe Friday or something. Thursday, I saw some people posting about that. But again, my point is, the small clubs that most local musicians are going to be playing in you know, how are we going to stay safe? Like, Mm -hmm. how are the fans, the attendees going to stay safe if it's small? And if they're not asking for any kind of, you know, vaccination proof and what, and the masks are coming up because everyone's drinking. So I just feel like, why would I put myself in that situation, uh, you know, and as to perform or even to attend that often. And I want to, and I've been thinking about it, you know, but it's really a quandary. So I'm no, not for sure. sure. It's it's a tough one because as someone who's, you know, a lot of my life revolves around going to shows and going to events like big and small at all sorts of clubs. Um, yeah. You know, from from your House of Blueses to you know your O'Briens to your Toads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toad yep. is a great place, and I didn't actually I actually hadn't heard that they're opening up again, so I'm really really happy about that. So thank you for letting me know. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's like. I want to get back to a, a place where this I can do this as often as I was. I definitely got I feel like I got uh, my fair share of like specifically in because over the summer I was doing a lot of outdoor shows and that felt fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously where the geographical region we live in, you can't do outdoor yeah. shows year round. And so, you yeah, know, like, short window. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so, you know, once 
the fall hit, you know, September through November, I went to like a, a decent amount of shows and it was really nice to, I appreciated the hell out of everything I saw, even if it, even if it was sort of like, if it was the type of show where before the pandemic, I would have been like, oh, the mixing was a little like off or whatever or want or like the band <laughs> wasn't we're super just so tight thankful to, yeah it's to like i don't have any at criticism all. at yes. all just <laughs> yes. i'm just happy to be standing here right in front of the speaker getting my ears blown out yep. right yeah yeah i probably should have brought earplugs uh but yeah i know i just want to get back to that to that point of like where this feels not just like can i can do this often again but yeah. where it feels somewhat normal uh mm-hmm. again and you know just you know i don't have to ha- constantly have this thought in the back of my mind that like what i'm doing Same. is potentially unsafe for myself for others i you know got to make sure i keep my mask on uh yeah all, all these new concerns it's just so stressful you know it just um but i will say so yeah i feel conflicted you know as an artist I I just don't feel like it's safe yet for me to be performing. I don't want to put anyone else's health in jeopardy. I don't want to take yeah. any chances myself. I mean, I have been going out some, but I am I am pretty pretty good about the mask. I have an N95 mask, you know, that I wear most of the time and I'm so glad the numbers are going down, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel you and so I've just gone to a very very small number of shows and it's hard too, you know, you have one drink and you start to feel like a little more relaxed and then you mm-hmm. start to be, Oh yeah, my mask is off. I'm just blabbing to my friend at the show, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I just can't wait till we don't have that stress and that anxiety attached to this thing that we love that I, you know, has been my life for the last 25 years plus. When you're, when you're used to, you know, performing in a live setting, you know, there there's a relationship between performer and audience and it's harder. Like I know as an audience member, as someone who tuned into multiple live streams that I sort of stopped doing it as well, like tuning in because I was like, this is not the way that I want it. Yeah, it's not. And I like, God bless everyone who was doing it and, and continues to do it because it is, it is an exciting new way of presenting music like there, there, there is there mm-hmm. is you know potential there and it's yeah i think that's exciting i you know i i wish that we were able to explore that without being forced to yeah i think that there's there are a lot of silver linings here with the covid situation and i mean even the cafe tables out on the streets are that's one beautiful thing but in terms of the music thing yeah the live stream aspect is great <laughs> And yeah. it, just, it makes things it just more makes accessible me, to people who might not yes. be able to get out to shows, which is incredibly Absolutely. important. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that when live shows really resume more, every venue has a live stream where people can watch it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that would be a great way to augment what's already going on. And yeah, if you can't, yeah. can't make it or whatever, something came up or you're sick or something like that. I mean, it'd be great to have that. So it's funny. It's And it's like the Zoom thing too. I, I keep thinking about, so I've seen a couple music movies lately. Actually, okay. last week, I went out more than probably the last year. And I saw I saw a documentary about polystyrene of the band X-Ray Specs. It's called I Am okay. Cliche. And that was, that was really cool. And she was very prescient in her predictions about the modern world. You know, she was already thinking about 
cruelty-free meat. So like mm-hmm. these impossible burgers or whatever beyond meat, which I have not tried by the way, but she was already thinking about that. And then they showed a video of her. Uh, I guess I think she had a song called virtual boyfriend or something. So it's like, wow, she's already like the online dating thing kind of <laughs> yeah. looking ahead to that. Like, what does she know? Stradamus? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, but you know, and also I saw, so the week before Emerson college has an awesome free movie series that they're just getting people back in the theaters for it's called bright lights. It's every Thursday for like 10 weeks or something. And in the first film they had was a documentary about an all female band called Fanny, which I had never heard of, but I guess they were contemporaneous with um, David Bowie. And they, in fact, oh, one okay. of the band members had dated him for a while and they had, it's funny the the movie, they had a lot of his band members uh, interviewed <laughs> But in in that, they were showing a lot of video footage. And when they show the video footage from like the 80s or whatever, and you see those primitive video effects, it actually Mm -hmm. scratches such a deep itch in my soul when I see old video with like primitive effects on it. It is so, it's so adorable. It's like, look how they were (laughs) trying to make it cool and like psychedelic with things swirling. And, and so what I've been thinking is I bet we're going to look back on things like Zoom like that because it is pushing a certain technology forward and it may seem a little stiff and a little primitive in certain ways now, but I bet we're going to look back like that wow, was pioneering, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's exactly right. This is, a, you know, while we're living through it, it is a very difficult time, but hopefully more good things come from it than bad. And that's that's like, the hope that I go to bed with every every night, I guess.
I just want to see if there's anything you want to close with or wrap up with any like upcoming releases or, or I know you said you don't have any performances planned for the time being, but um. no, I don't. I've been recording uh, last fall. I recorded six songs with Benny Grotto and my band, Benny Grotto over in Alston mm-hmm. at Mad Oak. And um, I'm hoping to Martin BC will probably be doing the mixing And so I'm trying, I still need to do a couple more overdubs, but those songs are so close to being ready to be mixed and then mastered and then released. Originally, I wanted to put out a full length solo debut album this year, (laughs) but because of logistics with my band and COVID and everything, I'm now not quite sure if I'm going to maybe try to release a single in April or try to get like about half of the tunes don't really need a lot of overdubs. So, you know, I might, I'm not sure if I should do an EP or if I should just do like, I could do a single, like one new song a month. And so I'm kind of open to like, what do people want? You know, do people Mm -hmm. prefer if, if I just drop, like if I wait to drop all of them at once, or would people be interested in, oh, yeah, try the single thing a month? You know, there's just so much, everybody's doing it differently. And I haven't tried that strategy, but I'm thinking about it. But my hope is to release seven songs this year and record, I would say, five to eight more. I'm tentatively thinking about having the title of Faces of a Queen. And I'll oh. tell you why. Yeah, is because. Uh, so I've got kind of a primitive concept with the artwork. I was thinking it'd be cool, like, you know, like a playing card that has the queen on it. Mm-hmm. And there's always a side profile. Yeah. And I was thinking that could be cool because the songs that I recorded, they vary from, you know, one song sounds a lot like St. Etienne meets Belle and Sebastian. Mm. There's definitely some Pink Floyd inspiration on there. <laughs> Um, then one song is really heavy and a little bit grungy. One song is very gothy. So because I just, my writing comes out in several different ways. So I was thinking Faces of Queen might work as a concept to show, and you know, some of it's even more rootsy being from Houston, the older I get, that definitely comes out more. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, oh, Faces of a Queen, that could be cool. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, uh, I when you said the title, the different I, I've... sides. Yeah, the the playing card popped into my mind. Yeah. I do want to take a sec to laugh. I always love how, you know, rock people, as they get older, tend to drift back to roots more. Uh, it happens. Well, you just start to really, I think you, you have a new 
newfound self-awareness and you start to see the whole arc and journey of your whole life at a distance and that guides you, you know, in a certain direction. So it's, it's, it's just fascinating and it can lead to a lot of navel gazing, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you know, that's, we're putting out our vision. So Okay, so there you have it. That's my interview with Ajda, the Turkish queen. Uh, but uh, yeah, so next week I'll have Craig Lewis on the show. He's an author who lived in Alston from 1991 through the mid-2000s. Uh, currently, he lives in Mexico. You're going to hear much more about him next week. But anyway, have a great week, y'all. Uh, hope you get out and enjoy some of the ever-improving weather we're having. 
uh, as always, just a reminder to be kind to each other. Um, be patient with each other. Just be cool, you know? Yeah, anyway, take it easy. Bye.